I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, March 20th, 2022, and this is episode 163 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that we did an in-person signing at Barnes & Noble yesterday, actually. Um, It's a local Barnes & Noble in Maryland, and it was with three other authors, uh, Eliza Knight, Timona Shroff, and Christy Barth, and it was called Spring into Romance. Uh, Yeah, so I had never actually done a Barnes & Noble signing before, to my recollection. Pretty sure that's true. Yeah. And it's really nice to have three other authors there. So you're not kind of just sitting there at a table being like, hey, buy my book, (laughs) which is always very awkward. Um, But it was actually a lot of fun. Um, I did sell books. I met some people uh, and got to talk to these other authors who were part of Maryland Romance Writers. But yeah, it was nice to see people I haven't seen. It was nice to be out in the world and signing books, talking about romance and books. I was signing Earthsinger Chronicles. Um, I did have one, shout out to Joy, who came looking for Savage City. And I'm like, I can't sell that yet. It's not coming out till March 31st. Speaking of Savage City, I got the posters. I'm so excited. So I printed up um, about 25 of these 11 by 17 posters of the cover art for Savage City, which I just think is magnificent, gorgeous cover art. It doesn't have the title or anything. It's just uh, poster art. And I'm going to be giving them away randomly to 20 people who pre-order Savage City. So that's part of the pre-order giveaway. You're going to get the swag, a deleted scene, um, the mobile wallpaper, which is basically that poster, but you can put it on your phone as a wallpaper. And I will pick randomly 20 US people, because I have no idea how much this is going to cost to ship um, to, to win the poster. So I, I got posters printed. I had to buy like big cardboard envelopes to ship them in. I was thinking whether I should roll them up or do them flat, but flat is always nicer. And I figured that would just be a little bit better to receive it flat. Um, but then the envelopes I bought were, were more flimsier than I thought. They were, I thought they were that paperboard that was really sturdy but maybe the price should have clued me in. So then I bought these inserts, these cardboard inserts, so that the poster comes flat, you know, so it makes it more sturdy. It wasn't actually that much more expensive. And it was cheaper than the super sturdy envelopes, which I would have had to buy a 100 of. And I was like, well, I might do more posters in the future, but I will still be left with like 80 extra of these expensive envelopes. Those are the kind of determinations you have to kind of figure out when doing swag. I really enjoy swag. It does cost me money. Uh, so, you know, you have to be judicious about what you do, uh, but I do like giving bookmarks and stickers away. And that's why I did start, start introducing this digital swag also. And just as a tip for other authors, I always make sure that my swag, since the first time I learned my lesson, that my swag fits in a regular envelope that I can put just one stamp on and mail out. If it's too bulky, you'll have to put extra stamps on. You have to pay. There's a fee in the U.S. Postal Service for if it can't go through the machine and the machine requires it to be flat. So if it's, if you're sending something bulky, then it's, even if it's small and it can fit in an envelope, if it's a bulky envelope, there's an extra charge. So learn my lesson there after, after the first time with Song of Blood and Stone swag. I do send internationally because I could just buy a bunch of international stamps, which um, I don't even know how much they are these days, but I can buy a book or two and that's fine. Shipping the posters internationally would be probably prohibitively expensive. So that's why that's limited to US pre-orderers. So if you're interested uh, and you listen to this before March 31st, 2022, 
Um, I will link to the pre-order giveaway form. Yeah, I'm really excited about these posters. It's the first time I've done a poster and it's fun. With the cover art, it's gorgeous. Like I couldn't resist. Also in Savage City News, I wanted to play you a clip of the audiobook uh, coming out the same day, March 31st. I'm listening to the entire audiobook now. It is available on NetGalley for those of you who like to uh, review audiobooks. And I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I'm about halfway through, I think. And so I think the performers are great. I think their voices are really good. I think they kind of capture the characters. So here's a clip from the Savage City audiobook. It's about two minutes long. The heat kisses my skin, uncomfortably warm and far too close. But I can't move. I can't drag myself anywhere, not just because of the pain, but because I literally can't move. My limbs have turned to stone. I'm paralyzed. Did that thing hit my spine and damage it? My eyes blink open. They still work, but my thoughts are starting to muddle into mush. The ground vibrates as heavy footsteps come toward me, walking into my limited range of vision. They're not shiny black loafers, but scuffed, thick-soled boots. They stop an inch from my face, and I can't turn my head to see who they belong to. I can't even keep my eyes open one more second. But before things go dark, I do notice they have what looks like blood splattered across the toes. In writing news, I have been working on Beastly Kingdom, the sequel to Savage City, number two in the trilogy. Plotting that, yeah, I had been figuring out what I'm going to be doing this week. I've gone back and forth as to what I'm doing next week. My original plan was to fast draft Beastly Kingdom by the end of March. And then I kind of went back and forth about, oh, should I really do that? Maybe I should just plot it and plan to fast draft it later and start immediately working on the second Orbit book. But I've got some momentum going. And so I think I just follow my my existing plan, which is, you know, I've done the plotting this week. I haven't quite finished everything. And I'll talk about that a little more in a moment. But I think I will just, I have the first act definitely pretty tight. And I think I have the first half tightish enough definitely to fast draft and usually my fast drafts of the last half of the book are a mess and much less detailed i mean a fast draft is not particularly detailed in the first place that's why it's a fast draft uh if, if you're not familiar with the term i just i write the first draft literally as fast as possible i don't read over it i try to write i think my goal is going to be two to three thousand words a day and get those scenes down um in sort of a zero draft form, because some people call it a zero draft. Some people just do it as sort of like a play, like just dialogue only. And I was thinking of that. That's kind of how my second halves are. They're just a few descriptions and dialogue. But I usually do it, I write it out. So it's a very short version of a scene. It's usually about half the length of what the scene will finally be. But if if I do an even more skeletal version than I usually do. I'm just afraid I won't be able to figure out what I need to figure out because I use it to live through the story, work out and see if what I've plotted actually makes sense, if the characters are going to behave the way I think they're going to behave. I learn about the characters and a lot of times they do veer off and the actions veer off or I'll discover something new as I'm writing that. And I'm worried that if I try to do like just a very bare bones skeleton of like dialogue only, that I might not make those discoveries. 
So I do have some description in there. I do have the um, inner monologues, the emotion. I do try to just sort of write it out as much as possible, knowing that I'm going to add so much more detail and, you know, all the other lovely writerly things in the next pass. So do that for two weeks. And um, if I'm not done at the end of two weeks, maybe then just take another day or two to sketch out the end as the way I think it will be. And then I really do need to dive into the second Orbit book. That's the current plan. And as we know, plans change. (laughs) But during the plotting that I've been doing this week, I've been seeing the shape of the story. And since this is the second the second in a trilogy, at some point I realized that I could use The Empire Strikes Back as inspiration. Because my initial my initial feelings, which are always, I was going to say always wrong, but are always just not quite, they're just the first feelings or the first pass at it. And I think everything needs refining. So my first feeling was that, oh, I was, I'm going to end this like more of a win. You know, I've got the conflict figured out and they're going to overcome the conflict and still have a good hook to book three. But then I was thinking, oh no, what if it's like Empire Strikes Back and everything kind of goes wrong? Like, obviously the love story gets their HFN, they're happy for now. Uh, if not, they're happily ever after. But the, there's a part of the larger conflict that just blows up, falls apart, things get really bad. And that and they kind of lose in the way that at the end of Empire, you know, we've got Han carted off. Um, Luke loses his hand. He loses the fight, right, with it with Darth Vader. Uh, and and they're you know they're okay, but they're in a hole that they're going to have to climb out of in the next movie or book, as the case may be. And I have I, I've known since the beginning that. Um, what the epilogue is going to be. And originally it was going to be the epilogue of book one. But then as I was going through planning the trilogy, I was like, okay, no, I think I think that's going to be the epilogue of book two because this character's book is book three. And so we have this disaster that happens and then this epilogue, which really hooks you into the next book. And so, yeah, using Empire Strikes Back, I went to helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com, which is K.M. Weiland's website, and she does lots of breakdowns of popular books and movies in terms of breaking down their structure. And so that helped me as I was working on the structure for Beastly Kingdom and still going between a save the cat structural system, the save the cat beat sheet, and the seven point plot structure that Dan Wells talks about. And those are both in my spreadsheet. So, um, you know, there's seven points and then Save the Cat is what, 11 points, something like that. And so just trying to figure out that those structural parts. And then once I've gotten those basically done and I'm also trying to figure out the um, like a romance beat sheet to make sure I have all the steps of the romance together. And after that, it's still like seven or 11 points. So what what happens in between that? And so you've got the major kind of turning points of a story, and then I wanted to fill it in with the outline. And I'd started writing more of a detailed summary or outline and just adding to it, fleshing everything out. And when it gets to the fleshing out stage, I hit like a wall. I was like, I know the big points. I know how we're getting from, you know, the turning point to the midpoint to the all is lost moment. What happens in the middle? Like sometimes the the beginning is clear and the end is clear. And then the middle is, 
Well, they have to fall in love and they have to, you know, fight the obstacle or try to achieve their goals. But I don't know, like moment to moment, what is happening in each scene. Things have to happen. And I didn't have anything to happen other than like the big things. So I was like, I don't have a middle of this book. (laughs) And that is when I decided to bring in something that I had to bring in when I was plotting The Monsters We Defy, which is a high story. And I had to really have a detailed understanding of one step to another. So the cause and effect of each thing that happens. You know, they're trying to, in that in that case, they're trying to do a heist. So what are the steps to stealing this thing? Well, they have to get information. They have to have, you know, um, informants. They have to figure out, you know, you have, you have you lay out the steps of the thing. And even though this is not a heist, and so it's not that kind of clean cut uh, structure, it's still the characters have goals that they're trying to achieve. And so when I was stuck not having a middle of the book, I was like, okay, well, let me just go back to the goals. So in um, Monsters We Defy, I had added a tab to my spreadsheet and I brought that tab into my Beastly Kingdom spreadsheet. And this is based on something that I've talked about before. It's the Dramatica plot steps. And I will link to that in the show notes. I also made a worksheet uh, for myself for this. And I split it up a little bit further. So the Dramatica plot steps, there are eight things. I won't list them all, but they're like the goal, the consequences, requirements, costs, prerequisites. So breaking down the goal into every little tiny piece that's needed to achieve it, I guess to achieve it or not to achieve it. So essentially, I did that for each of my characters and each of their goals. So the series is called the Bliss War series, and bliss is a form of energy in this world. And so my hero's goal in book two is to find a new source of energy because their sources are running out. So the consequences of not achieving this goal are that their society stops running. There's no power. They can't grow their food. They can't, you know, power their buildings, you know. It's basically like electricity. Okay, the requirements. Well, they have to find a new sources of this. And if they have other people who have sources of this, they'll have to get them to share or they'll have to steal it from them. The forewarnings, the consequences getting closer. Well, uh, before, you know, everything breaks down. Maybe there's brownouts for the power. Maybe since they can't grow enough food, they have to ration it and people get angry. And maybe there's riots. Maybe there's just social unrest. Uh, so there's what's the conflict of trying to achieve this goal? Well, their sources are running dry. Um, it's very difficult for them to find new sources. I list all these other things out, which is just part of the conflict of the book. The costs what are the costs of trying to achieve this goal? And so I kind of list all of those out. But then there's dividends, there's rewards also. Aside from achieving the goal, along the way, the the steps towards trying to achieve it also pay dividends. And these are small rewards that my my hero will achieve. And then there's prerequisites and preconditions. So you kind of break each goal down to all of these tiny parts. And then I have scenes, you know, just whereas before the middle was just this wide open space where anything could happen in the story, as long as at the end, I got to the ending I want to write. 
Now it's like, okay, well, he does X, Y, Z, and then there's a conflict, and then there's the forewarning, or there's the dividend. You know, like I can craft the scenes based on all of this information that I'd plotted out in my chart. And so I did the same thing for the heroine and her goals. And whereas I had just, you know, seven points on one uh, plotting system and 11 points on another, now I've got more details. Now I've got the scenes and weaving together, okay, as they're trying to achieve their external goals, they also have to be together a lot so that they can fall in love and have conflict and then, you know, move apart, move back together and do the whole romance arc. They have to have opportunities to grow for their character arcs, their internal goals and arcs. And it just really helped me flesh the whole thing out. And I don't know if I've done it in that way before. I've used the Dramatica plot steps to flush out things before, but I like the layout of my new chart. <laughs> and doing it for each character and each character's goal. And now I've got more scenes that I can use in this book and have it be the length that I want it to be. So it opened up another problem. Another thing that helped was, like I was talking about before, doing the cause and effect. So after I had this listed out, I went to my notebook and I I just listed out things that could happen, the scenes that, that this exercise had brought to mind. And using this t- technique of connecting each scene with a but or a therefore. And that was something that I just saw recently in a video by Jessica Snyder, who I follow on Instagram. Um, and she was just talking about, I think it's a Pixar technique of linking your scenes. Instead of this happens and then this happens, use this happens, but then this happens or this happens, therefore this happens. So I just listed every action. So, you know, the first step that my hero takes to try to meet his goal and get get more power or find a new source of power, he does this thing, but this thing, conflict. Then he does another thing, therefore, this thing happens. And I listed everything out like that for both the hero and the heroine. And that really helped me to make sure everything was motivated, everything links back so that you can do backwards and forwards. Like in other stories, I've started at the end and gone backwards and said, okay, this happened because this happened, because that happened before it. So depending on where I am or how stuck I am or what kind of stuck I am, there's different ways to kind of achieve the same goal. But I really found those things super helpful. And now, even though I don't have as clean of an outline as I would like, I do have a lot of ideas for scenes and I do have a very clean first act slash first half that I can refine the the second half as I go or once I get into the fast drafting and make more changes. You know, some some part of me is like, you know, you always change the second half anyway. Is there a point to taking more time to try to get it solid when as solid as it will be, it will definitely change. <laughs> so yeah, that is where we are with the writing and I... I think we'll just see how it goes, you know, try to get to 3,000 words um, tomorrow during my writing session and see how it feels. And knowing that it will feel terrible because fast drafts always feel terrible. They always feel like the worst writing I've ever done in my life. Like I should just stop right now and never publish again because those are terrible words, but they're supposed to be. And they're actually not as terrible as I think they are when I go back to read them in a few weeks or months. So part of the process. 
other publishing stuff, I uh, get the Story Origin newsletter, and they had a case study, which I didn't actually finish reading, but uh, the excerpts of it that were excerpted in the newsletter made me go back and realize that I did not have links to my other books in my reader magnet. So Story Origin is a service that does a lot of things for authors. Uh, they help you facilitate newsletter swaps. I think they do something similar to Book Funnel, where they help you to deliver your, your reader magnet. Check them out if you're an author. Um, I had I use Book Funnel, I really like it, and I don't do a lot of swaps, so I haven't really dug into all of their features, but I do know a lot of authors that use them. And um, yeah, so I went into my reader magnet. So when you sign up for my newsletter, you get a short story, which is called The Reader Magnet. It's like, hey, you'll get this free gift if you sign up for my newsletter. And then over the course of the next few weeks in the autoresponder, you get automatic emails from me for four or five emails. You get the um, reading list of black speculative fiction. You get another short story. So I've been giving away two short stories. And at the end of them, there was just nothing. I was like, oh, that is a, a missed opportunity to lead them to another book. Like the, the back of all my self-published eBooks tries to lead you to either the next book in the series, or if it's a standalone at the end of the series, something else that I've written with an excerpt or just links. And yeah, that was something that I had not done. The the uh, the reader magnets just ended, probably had my bio, and that was it. So I did go back into those two short stories, and um, I think I'm leading the first short story to Cupid Guild, the free version, because it's perma-free everywhere. And so you've gotten a free short story from me, and now you can, you know, I'm urging you to read my other free novella or Novelette is like 11,000 words. Also a short story, maybe. And then the second short story that you get, I can't remember where. I think I'm, I'm pushing to Angelborn. So yes, I did that and just uploaded those back to Book Funnel. And that was just a little tweak that uh, I don't really track things. Like I do put in trackable links. So I created my own link shortener, which is sort of like a um, bit.ly doc or bit.ly, I was going to say bit.ly.com, you know, those link shorteners that allow you to track how many clicks each link has gotten. Instead of using an external service, I bought another domain name, lpen.co, so it's very short. I put an installation of WordPress there with the Pretty Links plugin. And so now I make all my links myself in this standalone install um, installation of WordPress. So if you go to lpen.co slash Savage City, that redirects you. And I can see how many people clicked that link. And so I'll know that if I put it in the back of a book, I could say, oh, well, 200 people clicked this link to go this place. Um, So that's just one way of tracking. Now, I track it. I don't ever look at those numbers or do anything with that information. But it's possible whenever I log back into that website, I'll see, oh, okay, people have clicked on this or nobody clicked on that. So, you know. A more data-driven person would be tracking those things and tweaking them and refining them. And those people have a lot more time on their hands than I do. Uh, but yeah, that's just a tip that I thought was helpful and something that was easy and fast to do. Finally, recommendations. Uh, if you listen for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about Kate Stradling, who is one of my favorite authors. She writes fantasy, um, I would call it fantasy romance. And she had come out with a third book in a series that she didn't really intend to be a series. It's the Ruses of Lenore series. So the first book is Kingdom of Ruses, then Tournament of Ruses, and then Guardian of Ruses. And I hadn't read the first two in several years. And um, so I finally reread them and then read the third one and just delightful. I love I love her writing. This is no exception. So if you 
are looking for something really good to read, I'd say start at the beginning and give them a try. I am currently reading Cinderella Must Die by W.R. Jinjel uh, because I had finished reading one of her other stories, and she's another author that I really like a lot who does fantasy uh, and mostly fantasy romance. I'm still trying to figure out if this one is a romance. It's like I, every other book I read by her has been, so I do think it will be, but it's not immediately clear if it is, which is actually kind of fun because you're like, well, there are these other characters who are might be the love interest, but they're kind of like they've got they've got flaws, let's say. <laughs> but I'm highly enjoying this book. It's it's a retelling, sort well, not really a retelling. It's based on Cinderella. But it's from the stepsister's perspective, and Cinderella is actually the bad guy, and she's fooled everyone into believing her stepsisters were evil. It's a great concept. I'm actually loving it. And uh, yeah, so check that out too if you are looking for something good to read. So yes, goals, um, get fast drafting, and at the same time, be working on refining the plot for the second Orbit book to incorporate the new ideas from... um, my editor and the publisher and uh, get ready to start writing that one next month. And I sort of slacked off in um, a lot of things at the end of last week. It got to be a very complicated week. So continue to market Savage City. The release as of today is in 11 days. And I'm excited. Pre-orders are looking good. Um, and the poster is looking great. So yeah, super excited about how that's going to turn out. So until next time, I wish you a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And you can email me at podcast at ellenpenelope.com. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>